Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Hello, and welcome to our podcast on H-1B visa alternatives. In this episode, we will explore alternative visa options for individuals, including those who were not selected in the initial H-1B lottery process this year. I'm Carissa Tyler, and I'm an attorney in Littler's Immigration and Global Mobility Group, and I'm based in the Washington, D.C. office. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Angel Valverde. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Carissa. Thank you for the opportunity to share some of the options available to foreign nationals that unfortunately were not selected during the fiscal year 2024 H-1B cap lottery. I'm an associate. I'm also part of Littler's Immigration and Global Mobility Leader Group, and I'm based out of the Miami office. Today, I'm going to talk about H-1B cap extension and L visas, L-1A and L-1B for temporary workers. All right, and I'll be discussing the O-1 and TN visa options. But Angel, let me turn it back over to you and let's talk about, you know, the first order of business, which is what is an H-1B visa? Thank you, Carissa. The H-1B is an anonymous reclassification, which employers may obtain temporary workers on a temporary basis. The program is designed to provide employers the opportunity to employ qualified workers who are not otherwise authorized to work in the U.S. Employers may file an H-1B petition for a foreign national to perform services in a specialty occupation, services of, of exceptional nature related to the Department of Defense, or services related to fashion model. All right. And so this leads us to one of the problems with H-1B visas, which is that selection is very competitive with a limited number of visas available each year. Every year, there's a quota of 65,000 standard H-1B cap numbers and a cap exemption for an additional 20,000 for holders of U.S. advanced degrees. Arisa, can you provide some historical context in terms of the number of registration entries USCIS has received in recent years? Sure. So this year, USCIS announced on March 27th that the agency received enough electronic registrations during the initial period to reach the numerical allocations for the H-1B cap for fiscal year 2024. USCIS has not yet announced the total number of registration entries that the agency received this year, so we'll need to wait and see if there's any updates regarding whether or not USCIS will conduct subsequent rounds of the lottery later this year. Uh, for fiscal year 2023, USCIS received over 483,000 H-1B registrations, and for fiscal year 2022, USCIS received over 308,000 H-1B registrations. USCIS conducted a second selection in July 2021 and a third selection in November 2021 of additional registrations. So now that we've covered the recap and historical background, um, let's discuss the potential alternative visa options for individuals who are not selected in the lottery. Angel, do you want to start by discussing the H-1B cap exemption option? Sure, Carissa. Thank you so much. This is a great opportunity for individuals or foreign nationals that were not selected during the 2024 H-1B cap lottery. Some employers are exempt from the H-1B lottery altogether. In most cases, employers must fit in one of the following categories institutions of higher education, nonprofit entities related to or affiliated with an institution of higher education. Okay, and when can CAP exempt petitions be filed? 
Tap-exam institutions or organizations might file H-1B petitions any time of the year with start dates at any time. This is a significant advantage compared to CAP subject employers who can only place their employee in H-1B lottery each year and hope that they are randomly selected. Okay, and can the beneficiary of an H-1B CAP exempt visa change employers to a CAP subject employer? Unfortunately not. Working on a CAP exempt H-1B does not allow the recipient to then transfer to a CAP subject employer because the recipient has not been counted against the CAP. But note that an employer may have more than one concurrent H-1B. If one is for a CAP exempt H-1B employer, that employee might also work for a CAP subject employer without being selected in the lottery, so long as they maintain the CAP exempt employment. Right, so that's a, a great option for folks who are employed by a CAP exempt institution to be able to also concurrently work for a, a CAP subject company. Indeed. Can you also discuss how someone can identify an H-1B CAP-exempt employer? Sure. There are several resources that turn to when looking for an H-1B CAP-exempt employer. You can look employers and find databases that match you to a suitable H-1B CAP-exempt employer. Fortunately, the H-1B category applies to many occupations, including those in the sciences, engineering, business administration, and more. Right. And how long is an H-1B CAP exempt valid? It's the same as CAP subject H-1Bs. They're valid for six years. And what's the timing in terms of the processing for an H-1B CAP exempt petition with USCIS? Once an employer identifies a candidate, the process can last depending on the location of the service center that is assigned to the company and the geographical location of the employee. It can vary months, could be four months, three months. However, there is the option available to expedite the process with premium processing, which typically takes 15 calendar days and the service fee is 2,500. In contrast to a standard processing that can take, you know, three to four or five months. Teresa, what are other non-immigrant employment bases are option? So one of the options I wanted to discuss was the O-1 visa option which is an employment-based visa for individuals who possess extraordinary ability. While the O-1 has strict eligibility requirements, it can be a great alternative for individuals who have exceptional talent and accomplishments. Aren't there different types of O-1 visas? Yes. So there is an O-1A subcategory for this visa type, and that's for those with extraordinary abilities in the sciences, education, business, or athletics. And there's another subcategory, O-1B, for extraordinary ability in the arts or motion picture and television. And, and how an applicant qualifies for an O-1A visa? Yeah, so for the O-1A, an applicant needs to show that they are one of a small percentage who have reached the very top of their field. And the applicant also needs to show that they've received a major international award or that they meet at least three of the required criteria, such as original contributions to their field, earning a very high salary, or having publications written about them and their work in major media. Great. And are there different requirements or criteria used for the O-1B option? Yes. So for O-1B applicants, they must demonstrate extraordinary ability in the arts through a showing of distinction. And 
According to the regulations, distinction is evidenced by a degree of skill or recognition that's substantially above that which is normally encountered to the extent that the applicant is seen as someone who's prominent, renowned, or well-known in their field. And um, what types of evidence are required for an O-1B visa? Yeah, so the O-1 petition must include evidence that the applicant has received or been nominated for a significant national or international award or prize, or that they meet at least three of the required criteria. And for O-1Bs, that includes evidence that they will serve in a critical role for a distinguished organization. There's published material about them in major media and evidence that they have or will command a high salary compared to their peers. What does the process look like for applicants to apply for an O-1? Yeah, so the O-1 category requires a petition to be filed with USCIS, and that would include details regarding the applicant's position or activities in the U.S., as well as supporting evidence regarding the applicant's extraordinary ability. And USCIS will consider both the quantity as well as the quality of the supporting documents and determine whether the applicant can be classified under the O-1. USCIS does allow for premium processing for this category so as to receive an update in terms of an approval or a request for evidence within 15 calendar days. And what is the, the term of the, for the validity of an O-1 visa? Yeah, so O-1 visa holders are eligible for a stay of up to three years initially, and extensions can be filed in one-year increments. And one good thing about the O-1 category is that there's no maximum limit on the number of times someone can file an O-1 extension as long as they continue to qualify. Uh, what types of employment relationships are allowed for O-1s? Yeah, so O-1s can be employed directly by a company or through an agent. However, the O-1 cannot be used for self-employment, unfortunately. So now that we've discussed O-1s, Angel, do you want to discuss the L-1 visa option? Sure. Thank you, Grace. The L-1 intracompany transfer visa is one of the most common employment-based non-immigrant visas in the U.S. and is used by companies ranging from the world's largest multinational corporations, the smallest startups, and family-owned businesses. The L-1 visa allows employers to transfer executive managers and specialized knowledge employees from one of the organization's foreign offices to one of its offices in the U.S. is transferred in an executive managerial or a specialized knowledge capacity. There are certain requirements. For example, the employee has to be working outside of the U.S. for the company for at least one year in the prior three years of the petition. The transfer employee might also be coming to the U.S. to establish an office if the company doesn't have a U.S. operation. All right. And what does it mean to have a qualifying relationship between the foreign entity and the prospective employer in the U.S.? For an employer to meet the L-1 visa requirement, there must be a qualifying relationship between a foreign company and an employer that is currently or will be doing business in the U.S. The U.S. and foreign businesses not need to be in the same field. That relationship can be parent, subsidiary, branch, or an affiliate. Right. And can you tell us more about what it means to have qualifying employment abroad? Yes. An L-1 non-immigrant must have been employed abroad continuously for one year within the three years preceding the time of his or her filing of an L-1 petition by a qualifying organization. The job abroad that is the basis of the L-1 petition 
doesn't need to be immediately prior to the time period when an L1 visa is sought, as long as it is within the three years preceding the filing of the L1, uh, actually the applicant can be working for another company at the time of filing, as long as he or she complies to have the one year of employment within the three years preceding the filing of the petition. Okay. And in what capacity can a foreign national be employed in L1 status in the U.S.? The non-immigrant foreign national must be coming to the U.S. in a capacity that is managerial, executive, or one that involves a specialized knowledge. Managers and executives use the L-1A visa. A specialized knowledge employee use the L-1B visa. L-1 visa holders can remain in L-1A status for up to seven years, and L-1B visa holders can hold L-1B status for up to five years. Right, and you mentioned uh, the term specialized knowledge on... What, what does that term mean? Sure. A specialized knowledge, and as I mentioned before, is the L-1B classification. And an L-1B petitioner can demonstrate that a beneficiary employee has a specialized knowledge if they have special knowledge about the company product and its application in international markets or an advanced level of knowledge of the processes and procedures of the company. All right. And are there any other L-1 petition options for employers? Besides an individual petition option? Yes, indeed, Clarissa. There is a, what it's called blanket L petition. Blanket L petition is an abbreviated procedure, call it a blanket. It's a, available to certain large companies filing L1 intercompany transfer petition. A blanket approval for a company, including parents, subsidiary, affiliate, and branches, is available to an organization that is engaged in commercial, trade, or services and has an office in the U.S. doing business for one year or more, has three or more domestic or foreign branches, subsidiaries and affiliates, and has certain number of prior approvals, certain amount of annual sales, and certain number in the U.S. workforce. The key benefit of a blanket petition is that a company can skip filing individual petitions with USCIS, and foreign nationals only need to file an L-1 visa application with a U.S. consulate. A company has the option of filing an individual petition instead of using the blanket procedure. Okay, so now um, what other visa options, uh, depending on the nationality uh, of the foreign national? Um, Carissa, would you like to discuss the TN visa option? Yeah, thanks, Angel. And yes, the TN visa is available to citizens of Canada and Mexico, and it's available to individuals who are seeking temporary employment in the U.S., to qualify, the applicant's profession must be one which is listed in the NAFTA agreement, and the applicant must possess the qualifications to practice in the profession. And I should also note that NAFTA is now known as the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, or the USMCA. And Carissa, is there a number of professions that qualify for a TN visa under the USMCA? Yeah, so with the TN category, there's only a certain limited number of professions which can qualify under the agreement. And a few examples are accountants, architects, computer systems analysts, engineers, um, which includes software engineers and scientists. Most of the TN professions require a minimum of a bachelor's degree in the field related to the profession. How is a procedure uh, or, or the application or petition, is it the same for Canadians and Mexican applicants? Yeah, so the process is actually different for each type of applicant and the processing as well. So for Canadians, 
they're allowed to apply for admission to the U.S. NTN status either at the U.S. border or through pre-flight inspection at a designated airport. And the application is reviewed by an officer at that port of entry or the airport on the day of travel to the U.S. And there's no visa requirement for Canadian TN applicants. And then in contrast for Mexican applicants, they are required to apply for a TN visa at the U.S. Embassy or consulate to enter the U.S. in TN status. And um, how long can foreign national remain in TN status? Yeah, so TNs can be granted for an initial stay of up to three years. And while there's no limit to the number of times someone can apply for a TN, they must show that they intend to return to their home country after their temporary stay in the U.S. Are there other options that we should discuss as far as visa available or options available to foreign nationals that were not selected during the H-1B cab lottery? Yes, I also wanted to briefly mention about the E3 visa, which is an option for citizens of Australia. It's similar to the H-1B visa in that the E3 is for specialty occupations that require a bachelor's degree or higher. Unlike the H-1B visa, the E3 visa has no annual cap, so it makes it much easier for eligible Australians. And I also wanted to note that for F1 students, who are currently employed pursuant to a grant of Optional Practical Training, or OPT, they may want to consider enrolling in another F1 degree program to potentially be eligible for Curricular Practical Training, also known as CPT, or OPT if they move on to the next degree level. So that's all for today's podcast on H1B visa alternatives. We hope that you found this information helpful. And thank you for joining me, Angel. Thank you, Carissa. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.